welcome to The Honey Doctrine. This is us, Lauren Bloxham and Charlotte Anderson Sumner, discussing the landscape of yoga, yoga philosophy, and what it means in the context of our busy modern lives. We're both experienced yoga teachers with a combined practice and teaching background of over 50 years. This combined wisdom is greater than its parts, and that's what we're here to share. Hiya. Hi, Lauren. How are you, Charlie? How's your week been this week, your week in yoga? I am. Um, I don't really know how to answer that. <laughs> I don't I don't know how to answer the question because mm. I'm not sure I've collected my thoughts enough mm. to answer that. Yes. So I'm going to send it back to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know either. How are you? How's your weekend yoga been? Oh, I don't even know what I have been doing this week. It's really hard to remember what happened yesterday. Um, I Yeah, I think I've been, we were chatting before um, we started recording. And I think that what I am what I'm thinking about now you've asked me is my level of awareness which I think I'm going to attribute to my yoga practice and my awareness on my personal circumstances and situations and things that have arisen this week is it's kind of heightened and that's sometimes a little uncomfortable um and sometimes uh, quite enlightening um but yeah just being aware that I am a really ah, just getting it wrong, imperfect, uh, wobbly, vulnerable, um, frightened human being at times. And I right. think I've gone through all of those emotions this week for various reasons. <laughs> and feeling that emotional load of being in a family unit, of being a female of it being December, getting closer to Christmas, mm. all of the things that that comes with, all of the people that you hold. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah, and it's, I think, all of the people that I hold who are also kind of exhausted, mm. drained, um, and really in need of a break. Um and whilst I'm trying to hold it together and maintain a sort of be the ballast of the ship, I'm also yeah. feeling like I just can't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh no, guys, we forgot to load the ballast in. The ship's going down. My dogs are going to start barking because my postman's arriving. Can you hear them? I can. <sighs> That's life though, isn't it? <laughs> dogs bark. <laughs> Everyone has meltdowns. Life happens. <laughs> That's exactly right. I'm going to put put a notice on my door that says "Recording a podcast." Don't make my dogs bark, but that won't work either. I don't think so. Well, your dog is just freely expressing expressing itself, and you know this is also something we were chatting about: is when we freely express express what we're actually feeling at the moment, or whether we do the thing where you take time, think about it. And then be the bigger person. And we were sort of discussing whether we like being the bigger person or sometimes we'd like to not be the bigger person and just burn a few bridges. Oh, and, you know, it's so apt, really, because we were talking about fire last yeah. week. 
And I think it gave me an awareness of my own fire throughout the week. Um, And I guess what I mean by that is aside from like the nice kind of like um, ticking over, like uh, feeling warm. Okay, I've got this. Dinner's ready. Like I'm getting enough sleep. You know, the things Mm -hmm. I, I feel are sort of kindling the fire nicely. And then something comes along and just wafts this like almighty, like, fanning of the of the flames and it feels like the fires are out of control um exactly like you say burning bridges and trying to find I think I was saying to my a friend of mine earlier you know that with that inflamed feeling that I'm very familiar with um comes a sort of knowing that somewhere in here is clarity and direction and somewhere in here is uh, the ability to kind of walk the middle path. But everything in me just wants to go, fuck you, fuck yeah. you all. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, and it just, I just think we should do it more often. I think, I mean, maybe this is what happens when you start to feel a bit strung out is you, you, you just think, fuck it. Fuck yeah. it, fuck it all, don't care. Burn everything to the ground <laughs> burn, it all down. burn it all down and actually funnily enough we're not doing to be already done water maybe we do need to put some water on it but actually what we're going to do is fan yeah. our flames because this mm-hmm. week we're doing air oh. mm-hmm. so yes. which is you know as much as air does fan the wildfires also you know let's just give a big shout out to the sigh a breath of fresh air. To the big sighs that we all do that just make us feel good after a big cry or just whenever we need them and we just go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but thank God for the little nervous system automatically generated sigh that just helps to at least micro-regulate us when we are burning like wildfires. So I'm going to read you this I'm going to read you the verse for this this week. So this wind is honey for all things and all things are honey for this wind. This shining immortal person who is in this wind and with reference to oneself, this shining immortal person who is this breath. He is just this soul, this immortal, this Brahma, this all. So this is very much about prana that is the big old energizing um animating force of the universe and how we experience that within ourselves and actually the word for wind that they are referring to is vayu which is um the wind which travels through us so the the prana for yoga teachers we know is is sometimes called the five prana vayus yeah um, which are these five currents that go through the body um, and regulate various functions of us, um, of our being, and also this overall animating force of prana, which is out there in us, links us yeah. all, is what brought us into being. It's everything. Our breath is everything. I love the, um, I'm just thinking about that. <gasps> oh, oh yeah. I just had a moment where I just thought, oh and Brahman is in that little sigh and it made me feel so comforted to think of my tiny sigh you know being just the relief on on whatever has just you know been processed 
um, but but in the simplest of ways, without complicating it, without reinventing the wheel, our bodies and our breath can be so profound if only we just pay attention to what's already happening rather than Absolutely. trying to kind of contort and learn something, you know, that is not as complicated as it's often made out to be, I think. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's specifically to do with the breath, but more subtly, the vayus yeah should we break those down <laughs> yeah let's so i um have my little copy of the prashna upanishad i mean the, the values are mentioned in quite a few different upanishads and texts and things but i thought i would um reference this one specifically so mm. it is six questions concerning a person's life whence is this life born this prana how does it come into the body how does it distribute itself through what does it depart how does it relate itself to the external and how with reference to the self so these are the six questions i i did not come mm. up with those questions by the way these are in the text <laughs> they're in the text yeah oh they're okay in the text, in, so they're not right, mine mm -hmm. so it's it's a conversation yeah. i think between a father and a son i can't remember exactly and the answer to the first one is this life, prana, is born from the spirit, the true self. And it is by the action of the minds in one's previous existence that it comes into the body. So the kind of prana that we start with is determined by our past life experience. So this is this idea of karmas or vasanas, these things that we bring forward from our past life, some of which might be good, some of which might not, our little tendencies towards things, um, that then when we are at our original point in this existence, that would be the kind of prana that creates us. Lauren's looking uh -huh. at me blankly because you can't see her face. <laughs> <laughs> and she's probably not. It's a terrible assumption to make. I'm sure she was having some thoughts. It just looked a little like... Uh, you know, I think you've hit the nail on the head because all I can all I can think is my dogs just won't stop barking. Am I being burgled? And am I, am I overlooking? Okay, we're going to pause for a minute. Lauren's going to go and check her dogs. <laughs> Go check your dogs. Um, I, I'm back and um, I was looking at you blankly, but really I was thinking, am I being burgled? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with um, past life experiences or any of that stuff. She would just be thinking is. about something completely different. Maybe it was about past lives, but I, <laughs> I know. it slipped into an alternate universe, which, um, yeah, but I was just thinking about, I wonder what that was. Yeah, it was just a distraction. But anyway, yeah. Would you mind saying what you said again? <laughs> I'm not sure I can. So what it's telling us is that the <laughs> life is born from prana, which comes from yes. the actions mm -hmm. of the previous lifetimes. So this is a, yes. a nod okay. towards reincarnation, rebirth, all of that, and that we bring things with us from the life that we led before. Okay. Oh, Like, and you know, a tendency towards being distracted easily. <laughs> possibly that and it makes me think about um you know our inheritance of mitochondria because I think we mm. only inherit that from our mothers don't we there's a sort of scientific thing that says the mitochondria in your cells is only passed down from the mother so you, you don't inherit it nobody will ever have inherited it from their fathers it's interesting um, I did not know anything about that yeah, I mean, I'm not a scientist and there's obviously a lot more to it than that, but it, it is does. 
I actually think <laughs> I might have learned that on the Kardashians. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not verify the sources. If if you could just watch season four episode well, five honestly, of the Kardashians, though, you might learn you know, some more. <laughs> I am very open minded, and I I'm happy to take at face value ancient texts that talk about death, rebirth, and karmas and tendencies we bring through from our past lives so why could yeah. i not believe the kardashians i mean what is to say that's not original source material and as valid well i um i don't need i don't need to uh <laughs> i don't need to be validated i'm perfectly i'm perfectly that's open it. to the fact that uh yeah that could just be a load of rubbish no but the mitochondria thing i may not yeah. have it on the kardashians no that i'm sure that i'm sure it's totally valid. but the mitochondria thing is a thing so yeah definitely go away and look that up and take take from it what you will really because i definitely think it's quite an interesting thing if you're it, you know when you're thinking about you know the inheritance of our prana um from a scientific perspective hmm, what's there you know yeah what are we and, getting what's being passed down I mean yeah that talks yeah. to that sort of epigenetics doesn't it this thing of experiences that get passed down yes. yeah um, well and the it other is fascinating thing... and oh and there was another fascinating sorry I've got to stop with that um <laughs> these karmas like, I've got some fascinating things too it's also <laughs> fascinating <laughs> edit that word from my vocabulary um but vasanas and karmas are latent tendencies that we have. Like we may not be aware of them. And so often we might see them manifest across family units, but also you get that kind of black sheep thing where yeah. you might get yeah. someone who is a savant, like piano player in a family of like tone deaf people or whatever. And then yeah. that would be explained by this is something that's come down from your chain of past lives. Um so, so this is so that's the prana that starts us and it and it goes on to say that that prana is like the superintendent of the villages so this is the most important of all of the winds that we have in our body yeah. is this big prana with the big p it, mm -hmm. it sort of controls mm -hmm. all of the other ones one by one uh-huh um and prana you know, yoga teachers talk about it a lot it's not just in the breath it's in the sun it's in the food that we eat it's in yeah. the um, information that we consume um, copiously. Yes, it's in the um, air. It's everything. It's in the air, and this is why it's so interesting. This relationship between um, this idea of prana outside of the body, and then the vayu, the winds that travel within us, and and how mm -hmm. intangible. So when we were thinking about this podcast, like just thinking about that, all you ever see when it comes to wind in the world is the effect it has. You don't see the wind. Mm. You just mm -hmm. see the impact. So we had quite a windy day a few days ago. And of course, you're very aware of it. You hear it. You feel it on your body as it touches you. Mm. And you see the trees blowing. You see things falling, all of that. But you can't see the actual wind. No. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's um, it brings so much with it. It creates so much havoc. Or, you know, sometimes it's delicious, like a lovely cool breeze on a hot day. Yes. But I mean, it's as But it's an as... indirect experience, isn't it? In it's the indirect Well, we often experience, um, I'm thinking about, you know, the wind on the ocean and how the waves are formed, you know, and we kind of are watching the waves waiting for, you know, the right surf, waiting mm. for the right wind to create the conditions for the right surf. Um but you know the wind 
can create the ocean which looks like just churning up the, mm -hmm. the bottom like the kind of waves that I don't even want to be on the beach because they look so terrifying they are but also the lack of wind how that affects the, the water so it's almost like the water is at the mercy of the wind and whatever the wind decides to do dictates how we're going to experience I mean thinking about the water but then I'm thinking also now about fire and how it how it plays with fire and this is literally outside of ourselves but equally inside of ourselves yeah in a more metaphorical way so carrying on through those list of prana values, because one of them is related to fire, isn't it? Samana. But so you have mm. the 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 um outbreath is apana, they say, which is mm -hmm. about um excretion and generation, like so it's all uh -huh. to do with the lower part of the torso and everything that's moving down and out. And then the breath, the little p prana, so not the big prana of all life, is um established. It says in this text, in the eye and the ear, together with the mouth and the nose. So it it's sometimes said to be more chest upwards. Um, mm -hmm. and then the middle is the equalizing breath samana which is in that region of agni which is about equalization and distribution of everything that has been offered as food so that's that get your digestive fires burning mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you have the diffuse breath which is called vayana which is the one that sends everything around the body so all of these other processes that are digested in the samana area then get distributed by vayana so all of this good energy can go out to other parts of the body and then the final one of those pranavayus it's not the final because there are another five but we're not going to go into those but um is udana which is um decides whether we've been good or bad at the time of death and which direction our soul is going to go oh whether we That's go interesting. up or whether we go down, whether oh. we've led a sinful life mm. or a meritorious one. Right. Um, and that's in, the, that's in the big cycle of life. And I suppose in, it would have yeah. other more subtle purposes in the smaller cycles of life. Yeah. If the cycles of life kind of go from being from birth to death, but they also go from season to season to time of life to time of life to um you know the phases of of our living you know parenting all the cycles of our um work relationships or yeah. love relationships you know beginnings middles and ends as cycles of life um so it would serve a different function in a different context a smaller cycle context and I suppose yeah. the smallest I mean there are smaller cycles than simply the inhale exhale being a life cycle of its own there will be the creation and destruction of cells and you know microscopic yeah. cycles that are happening all the time that <clears throat> I would say I'm probably not consciously aware of but have an impact on how I might be thinking and feeling um and this is this interesting cycles, that kind of thing intersect isn't it of um how the yogis perceive the subtle body the sukshma, sukshma sharira and how we perceive the physical body and mm -hmm. it's almost impossible to separate them yeah. we can really only separate these concepts as concepts but you know the subtle body really is this subtle intangible thing but it acts upon the physical body and the causal body it's just yes yeah, you can't you can't separate it. You can't the, separate it. And the it, breath although... is the link between 
the bridge. That's what we always find. It's the bridge between. We're not burning that bridge, but it's the bridge. It's that link between body and mind. (laughs) The link Um, between body and mind. Uh, uh, The the relationship between. Yeah, the relationship between. I love the idea that it's. So I love the idea that we kind of draw the substance of breath from this this substance between us. That's sort of we we don't see it either. It's what we call space in between Mm -hmm. us, but that it's so rich in nourishment breathing is our first and most vital form of nourishment we spend so much time talking about you know eating the right food and being hydrated but actually it's the breath that's that's our first and most vital and there's a lot of lovely we've got minutes without it haven't we yeah really very little time at all Um, and there are a lot of stories in the Upanishads about that of like okay you know all of you other functions sight hearing taste touch you all you all think you're important but if breath leaves the body there's nothing left sight leaves the body the body's fine if you know all of these things leave the body still functions but if breath leaves the body the body dies so that's why we know the breath is the most important it's the most important and we draw it from the substance between us and we all share this substance Mm. you know oh my gosh like didn't covid make us aware of that how much we share the substance (laughs) I was in the little yeah. Tesco Metro and I was picking up some food and there was a lady next to me and she was coughing and spluttering. And then she said to her, she was really snappy with her daughter. And she was like, I'm just feeling really ill. And I'm feeling worse by the second. And I was like, right, I'm holding my breath until I get out of this <laughs> shopping space. <laughs> of course, yeah. it's ridiculous. And it reminded me of that Michael Rosen poem that he has about holding your breath at school, which is just wonderful about you can't breathe at school. It's just a silly, anyhow, it's a good poem. And um, and I did. I tried to hold my breath the whole way around Tesco's, and then every time I'd be like, <laughs> and take a little sip of breath, thinking, "Don't breathe in the germs." <laughs> I mean, it's a real thing when you're self-employed. You just don't right. want to get sick, do you? You don't want to get sick. And COVID, of course, made that. You know, we talked about this before, but it made it so much more um real. The yes. awareness of it. I, I mean, I used yes. to flinch a little bit if someone would sneeze too close to me, but now I'm very much like, okay, I'm not going to breathe. <laughs> I don't want to breathe the same air as you. Mm. Um, I find myself holding my breath when I, uh, I get the first smell of like exhaust fumes, and I find mm, myself, thinking, oh, I don't want to breathe that. Do want to breathe? I, that. I do that too. I really don't want to breathe that. Yeah. So we've heard how clean our air is, or like when you're cleaning up the dog poo, and you're like. Mm. <laughs> and how the senses the direction of the wind has such an impact on <laughs> what, what we're uh, what we want to breathe in as well absolutely and that's the fascinating thing with having a dog as well with the direction of the wind and what the wind carries the dog because <laughs> sometimes I'll see things that I know will make him go crazy in the distance like a deer or a pheasant and mm-hmm. I see them and he hasn't seen them and maybe we're the wrong direction for the wind so he doesn't smell them and then he'll get a whiff and then he goes batshit crazy um yeah yeah it's just it's um it takes everything with it doesn't it it really does it's such a power and it's carrying something microscopic we what I get a, a, a waft of a whiff a whiff of often is something that's washed up on the beach and it will oh. be probably a dead seal or a dead mm, you get the dolphin. fishy whiffies or sometimes it's uh, a bunch of mussels. Oh, my God, they absolutely stink when they've gone off. And they you do. can smell, you can really smell, smell them. And it sort of infuses like a, like a, 
like a perfume or something. Like one of those aromatherapy diffusers, but with rotten muscles in it instead. Rotten mm, muscles. Lovely. It so infuses the air and the air carries it. And I think that's really fascinating that the air and the composition of the air can be so variable um, and so delightful when it's yes. carrying summer oh, or cut smells. grass and or snow the smell of snow oh, and a really frosty I... day mm. and you go outside how... and the air is just so crisp and delicious and you just want to breathe it in and it almost makes your lungs sting a little bit because it's cold and mm. I just oh, I love that yeah yeah and the smell of evergreen trees I've got lots of um evergreens pines down the lane from me mm-hmm. and certain times of the year they re- or christmas trees right now yeah. i mean if you've got a real one yeah I, which I, we I do. do have a real one yeah. yeah and it smells amazing but yeah it's infused in the air it's in the air so the chemical composition of the air changes and is infused by so much which is actually making me think about the blue mountains in australia have you been there just outside i Sydney? have not been there and um, again, I'm going to give you some really unhelpful statistics <laughs> that relate. To Are these from the Kardashians? Vague. It could. It could be. I'm going to say this is not Kardashian related, <laughs> although maybe somewhere along the lines it is. But um, <laughs> so the Blue Mountains are outside of Sydney, and they're called the Blue Mountains because they're eucalyptus forests and the eucalyptus oil that is sort of uh, diffused from the trees creates a sort of blue haze. Mm -hmm. So it actually changes the color of the air. Um, But what's interesting about that is that um, they have very low rates of asthma and uh, lung disease. Yeah, so clean. Well, either that it's so clean and probably it is cleaner because it's not in the city, but also because it's carrying such a... A heavy load of you know whatever comes the plant something, something um, good polyphenols or something like that I don't yeah. know polyphenols yeah that, I think that is I think that is what it is yeah and actually um, yeah that's so interesting because that can make you feel so good and like you said it has a direct yeah. positive health benefit but equally a windy day can make you feel quite mad <laughs> Yes. It, oh my goodness. Um, and there are also places in the world which are known to have very high levels of mental instability because they're so windy, and the wind whips up your brain, um, butter, yeah. and sends you a bit doolally. I know that I feel that, and sometimes it's as simple as like because you have you know longer hair, and the hair blows into your eyes, and it makes you feel tickled and irritated, and it just whips up that energy. It creates too much of an imbalance so all of that mm. prana feels like it's like um it's like shaking a coke bottle isn't it and that you just that's feel a, like whoa that's a good analogy i see in the animals so on a yes. really windy day here the horses are yeah like they're really they go do lally don't they they go very, I would not, very skittish very skittish my chickens on a windy day i think for me i don't like the wind so i don't mind the rain but the wind is the thing. So we're up high where I live mm. and we're by the sea. So we do get the wind coming in off the Atlantic and it can be quite powerful. And when I walk my dogs, it's the one thing that really does drive me down. I can tolerate mm-hmm. getting wet and I can tolerate being cold. But when the wind is relentless, I think, okay, enough. I've had enough. I agree. And then you get home and you're so grateful for shelter. 
so so grateful yeah. for shelter yeah. just to be in the lee of the wind or you stand by a tree and you're like oh thank god because there's only so much you can take I mean this is like basically mm. how I feel at the moment but there's really only so much you can take as a human being yes, yes <laughs> I think there is a lot is. of us and a lot of us exist quite close to capacity of how much yeah. we can take and then something as simple as a windy day can really tip you over the edge yes it can and there um, is only so much yeah. you can take and I think there's that whole thing and I'm going to there's a really lovely account that I um, follow on Instagram. Um, I was going to say, you know, your prana, your energy is is sort of finite. And it's and and I want to reference uh, Fraser McGlinchey because he is such a lovely meditation teacher. And, and I just really appreciate him and his uh, wisdom in the world. But he says regularly, you know, your prana is finite. And so you have to honor that you know, that knowing, um, he's worth following for sure. Mm. <laughs> if you find him, but, um, I, it, it makes me feel very human. It makes me feel like, okay. And so I need to pay attention to, um, you know, how this all makes me feel and how much is enough and how much is too much. And when I need something different Yeah. and, and that is only me, you know, within me. And I think I want to sort of say something that's, uh, um put the wind up me <laughs> is on, um man. yeah I know well it's something that 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 does give me a little bit of uh it sort of agitates me slightly in that windy way <laughs> um it is the idea of, of breath work and I and I feel like um how there's a bit of a it seems like there's a bit of a fad at the moment for teaching breath work and breath work is a breath work facilitator and I think whilst we can acknowledge the importance and we have done of, of our breath, I think for me, there is always this and has to be before anything else agency, you know, that within us, when we feel and sense things, these are our greatest superpowers. There's nothing really particularly mystical about things like, you know, breath work and manifestation I think it's within us. I think that it's something that we have to be really close to. And just as you described, feeling when things are too much and I've had enough, mm. feeling when things uh, are not right for me, feeling when things are, oh yeah, I want, I need more of that or I need less of that or I need maybe something different than that. I, um, I would um, concur with that. And I would also expand on it to say, I think breath work is often a sort of layman's term for pranayama within the yoga world yeah. and that I think is lovely and my teacher when she taught taught us breathwork pranayama was incredibly um clear that breathwork should be done under caution and always yeah. with options to act to like to opt out and there were certain practices she said no I wouldn't teach that to most people or anyone for that matter you know no. know that they exist but they're not appropriate for general classes um, and I think what you are alluding to as well is what might be classed as breath coaching mm -hmm. nowadays. And in knowing that we were doing this, I did a little bit of internet research and it seems to me that there are breath coaches of the kind of sports variety, which I feel is really valid and important in the worlds of running, free diving, all of that. Yeah. who have been around for yeah. a long time and they're teaching you how to breathe for optimal athletic conditions. And then there are breath coaches and I would put that uh -huh. in air quotes and one website I looked at I looked at in particular um they were talking about join our course 
learn to be a breath coach. It's a combination of teaching people to breathe and coaching. And it's all things about transcendence, transmissions, um, flow states. It's very coaching language. And then mm. breath practices are involved in it. And I, I think that is where I would have a massive barrel of skepticism. I think you need a healthy degree of skepticism. And it's not to say that those things don't work for some people. It's mm. just to say, and like you, I think my pranayama training was taken over a period of time with people who knew and had been trained and had a lot of experience in what they were doing and with caution, with yeah. caution. And I understand that caution because when you start talking about transcendence, it rings to me of like a magic bullet. You oh, know, completely. A quick fix. And, and what are they transcending? Because they're not actually transcending anything. Well, I don't know why we need... No, I mean, I think there's a kind of like, well, this is humanity, okay? Mm. It's like we started. It's sort of messy and imperfect and hurt sometimes and yeah. blissful and joyful sometimes and there is no human on earth who is not first and foremost human absolutely and the transcendence of a yogic idea is is the utmost state it's the mm. ultimate so we can only assume that basically no one on earth has got there maybe like four people you know like we're yeah. not transcendent liberated beings and some people no. might pretend to be but they are then pretenders well, I think you know, that's they're not living the sages. And although we are waiting, you know, there is this idea within Hinduism that there will be another incarnation of Vishnu because there hasn't been one for a while. And it's supposed to happen when the world is really at rock bottom. I'm going to say that's not someone who's operating in the contemporary yoga world <laughs> yeah. because it just seems to be rife with charlatans. And the word <sighs> transmission, transcendence used alongside by my product to me is like and sovereignty and all of these other buzzwords it's like such a red flag for yeah buy my product yeah um by the way I'm going to sell you this you're going to be in a flow state you're going to be blissful you're going to be that you're going to be this bliss state. and it's going to cost state. you this much bliss state yeah that's something so, I keep hearing a lot and it's, it's, a it's lot. As though when I hear it I think hold on uh, how <laughs> I mean I so from my perspective having taught yoga to lots of people over a number of years and practiced myself a lot over a number of years with lots of teachers I can sort of safely say that the conditions around my practice very rarely occasionally lead, lead to a sort of feeling of oh I forgot I was sort of yeah. in my body there for a minute and it's usually a practice of yoga nidra that that would do it that would guide yeah. that when I'm feeling very very safe um it's occasionally been perhaps when I'm practicing the kind of pranayama that is appropriate for me on that mm -hmm. day I might kind of lose a sense of my human self and but it's usually something when I speak to people especially about you know the the koshas and and the layers of being I say it's almost like a spontaneous a spontaneous feeling that may or may not arise for us depending on who we are how we are and what time of the day in life we're in and yeah. it's not something that we pin our expectations on it's something that we practice for and it's not something we can sell 
No, you. I, well, I honestly, if somebody's just gone and pr- done a sixty-hour course and can sell bliss state, I mean, I then then we're done aren't we our work here is done <laughs> it's making me think of like wayne's world and like can you smell bullshit <laughs> it's well just, on one hand have... yes on the other hand well okay then if that's if that's real if that is real then uh yeah then but then these... there's no need for any of us to do anything anymore <laughs> we're done and here. it literally is these ideas flying in on the wind and then everyone like they're like oh I can monetize that suddenly you know breath coaching is really popular and so I'm gonna like make some money out of that and I'm gonna develop a course and I'm gonna have it regulated by some obscure body if anybody or I'm gonna make up a governing body and then they're gonna regulate my course and then I'm gonna sell this out to you for anywhere in the region of 500 quid to maybe 3,000 and then you too can become a breath coach and yeah help people enter the bliss state um and run workshops and have them lying on the ground, puffing and puffing or whatever else it is that you do um, just to make money. And, well, you know, as a yoga teacher who's done a, a fairly decent yoga training, I'm not talking about mine, but as any yoga teacher who's done a fairly decent yoga teacher training, you don't really need to go and do another teacher training. It could be really helpful if that's your specific area of interest, but you should have been taught that stuff and then you should be practicing that stuff. And it's what you yeah. practice that you then pass on to your students. And if you stay then with a teacher attending to your practice throughout your life, you don't need to go and pay someone again to go and learn. I'll probably shoot myself in the foot here because one day I'll be like, I'm going to run a pranayama teacher training. And I'll be like, fuck, I wish I'd never said that. But I (laughs) it's your practice that informs how you teach. And it's the text that teach you like the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, the benefits and the contraindications to these practices why we're doing these practices what order we should be doing these practices in. oh yes and all of that stuff how we prepare the body for these practices how we prepare thank you that all of this thing and it's it's not going to get taught to you in four months on zoom or in person for you know however many dollars it's um i would also say the first sloka of the second chapter of the Hatha Yoga Pradipika says the yogi having become competent in the practice of asanas with his senses under control and Mm -hmm. following an appropriate and moderate diet should practice pranayama according to the instructions of his guru show me a person in this day and age who has their senses under control well this is exactly what we're talking about isn't it there oh my gosh my practice of awareness leads me to realize more and more holy moly I, you know, what it's given me the biggest, probably the biggest breakthrough of my, of my yoga practice is I recognize the shit that's going down inside me and how destructive Mm. that can potentially be. And my biggest wish for this is that I do not hurt anybody that I don't want to land it on someone else's lap. Mm -hmm. I don't want to make it someone else's fault that I just need to be with it. And it's painful and it's horrible and it's ugly. And I think it's such a human tendency to just want to throw it like a hot potato, you know, to not take responsibility for it, to blame somebody else for it. And I think that, you know, that makes me human. It just makes me human. It makes me. uh, Yeah, it just is how it is. The best thing I can say about myself is that I am working, (laughs) I'm a work in progress and I'm aware of what I'm aware of and I'm not aware of what I'm not aware of always. Um, But the order of things, as you've just described them as well, is, I think, so important and cannot be under cannot cannot be underestimated to take pranayama out of that context 
and to teach it without first having any sense of the body mm. and the, the energy of the body yeah and and, and the senses the under working. control because it's our senses not being under control that drive us towards more and more extreme practices yes in yes. order to try and get this high and it, you know what it, it's like, it's like these breath practices some of them you're basically hyperventilating yes. and then the teacher is saying to you do you feel good it's like yeah I feel great I'm like hyperventilating I've hardly got any oxygen in my brain so I or I've got loads of oxygen to my brain so I either held my breath for ages so I sort of feel like I'm all woozy or I've super oxygen to my brain so I feel all woozy and it's like yeah of course I feel great or a bit crazy or like feel like I'm in an alternate state or tingly you know I've yeah, had all these sensations yeah I've had people describe how profound a breathwork class was because they on felt the tingles that they were thinking and I and I kind of think well, well you could sit on your foot for an hour and get pins and needles and feel tingly well, too. <laughs> certainly <basically>. could. <laughs> but yeah. you're changing you're changing the chemical composition of your blood exactly and is that the right thing for you is that if you already have a body which is maybe not as healthy as it could be in a diet which is perhaps not ideal mm-hmm. and you have a mindset which is deeply competitive is changing the composition of your blood going to cleanse you or compound already existing issues and, and also it comes down to what's the intention so when it's wrapped up with coaching the intention is for you to become like this superhuman of some kind of description mm. I, I don't really get the coaching world particularly not when it, I, I get certain aspects of coaching I I was very lucky to take a course with a financial coach who helped me enormously because she knew what she was talking about and taught mm. me about finance um when it comes to just sort of like ascension style coaching I guess I would describe it I, I struggle and I in researching for today I, I ended up falling down a couple of rabbit holes and uh, of people who make me feel deeply uncomfortable for two reasons one I don't really enjoy what they're saying and the other one is I realize that by watching it I'm adding to their following even though I don't like it because I'm pushing them higher up the algorithm and a lot of what they're saying is you need to breathe like this you need to do this you need to think like this you need to enter this state Mm -hmm. I'm doing this because of this I got this transmission from a transcendent state and I'm downloading it to you guys and it's just like it's creepy and these people tout themselves as thought leaders which is a expression I take huge um, umbrage with because I find it disturbing in itself that we would want people to lead our thought I would Mm -hmm. like to not have my thought led I'd like to think for myself thank you very much Um, (laughs) yeah and and so it it just yeah it's a little weird but I you know in also linking the breath to the mind it does really help so it's not it's making sure I don't know it's this exploitation of what are beautiful well-intended practices into a commodity of wellness yeah um and it's such a shaky it's the man who built his house on the sand and so many people are in that house certainly is and I think that um you know when we when we recorded episode one and we were talking about getting paid as yoga teachers you know, I, I've come to a really um, sort of refreshing mindset where I realise that when I'm thinking about the numbers in, in my class, the number of people who are coming to yoga classes and how much money that might be making me as a sole income, it doesn't work for me 
you know, mm. the yellow leaves and the business takes over. And that's not what I want. That's not why I'm doing it. Um, in having other work to support my yoga teaching, it frees me to enjoy teaching and to understand it's going to ebb and flow and mm-hmm. it's not going to be my sole income. And I think, you know, we've had a lot of feedback from other teachers um, outside of London, who, you know, have described the same circumstances. Yeah. I've certainly spoken to a lot of teachers who have described the same circumstances that it's incredibly hard to make a living as a yoga teacher, but as a portfolio career with other things around you, it can be a joy, a deep, deep mm-hmm. joy. Um, <clears throat> but I have sort of, and found a sort of, in myself, found a sort of oh, relief with that realization. This is maybe as good as it's going to get for me. And I am okay with that, you know, um, but the other people in trying to sort of coach me a little said you're you're gonna do it you're gonna get there and I think it doesn't actually help me Mm. to think that I'm going to do better than this it helps me enormously to accept what this is as it is and that's not to say it might not go better or it might get better I don't know so translate that and put that onto the breath is what you're saying is like imagine someone coaching you through your breathing with that sort of impetus and then just to bring in another um, sloka from the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, it says, just as a lion, elephant or tiger is tamed gradually, the breath too should be brought under control slowly, else it will yes. kill the practitioner. With a note oh. from Krishnamacharya, if the breath is forced, it will result in chest pain and other heart ailments. So just this, exactly what you're saying, it, it doesn't, it's not always helpful to have someone pushing you to do more when you're trying to no. listen to yourself and be like, actually I'm doing the right amount right now I'm doing the right and amount this is working right for me it's <clears throat> working for me and I don't need more I mean because we know that some of the yes. Hatha yoga practices are very austere like they're very extreme practices and we talked extensively about Vajroli which you know none I, we haven't heard anything on that no one's doing it fanny farts on the <laughs> other hand people are doing a lot of or have done a lot of or are definitely trying to avoid because literally I was thinking the other day we should change the name of this podcast to the fanny farts because I've never had so many interactions <laughs> and comments and messages and everything about how much, just about fanny farts. So there we go. But there um, you go. It's, it's wind. It's, it's, it's another wind. kind of a and wind. And it had to come up during the wind. <laughs> but wind coming episode. back to what you just des- described yeah. um, and Krishna so idea words, but I, um, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, it's always, it's always lovely when science also comes to the same understanding and um you know there are a lot of scientific studies now around breath and breathing and the effects of breath and breathing and how positively it can affect and it comes down to pulmonary function blood pressure um anxiety heart rate variability and it's all very much to do with our hearts yeah um and and obviously our lung capacity um but again, it's not talking about forcing breath. You know, the research is around something which is very measured and controlled. Mm-hmm. I mean, in this particular case, it's talking about resonance breathing, which is essentially the extension of the exhale. Yeah. But each of us, and we might work with breath ratios in our yoga class, but I think even that can be taken with a pinch of salt because whilst I can give a structure 
as a guide, that structure does not fit every person that comes to that exercise. And this is where it's so vitally important that we have first practiced a sense of what is it feeling like in my body? How am I? Where am I? What is this? Can I bring compassion into this? And I can somebody can't sorry. Yeah. If you can't bring compassion into your body and a simple awareness of the body, then please do not practice pranayama. And I've taught ratios, I mean to to people, I mean it always keep them quite low. I mean ratio the count rather than the ratio the ratio is the ratio but kept the count quite low and then sometimes with groups of teachers we've taken it a bit higher and done it as a sort of thought process you watch yourself you're going to keep going see where you get to and then we're going to talk about it afterwards and actually most people are not going above a count of say 10 so talking savitri pranayama which is where you do that one two one two one ratio so your inhale is um two and then you're holding it for one exhale two, hold for one so say you'd start Uh at like inhale four hold two exhale four hold two yeah and most people by the time you get to ten five ten five that's it they've had enough yeah because to hold for a count of ten sorry inhale for a count of ten hold for a count of five exhale for a count of ten hold for a count of five that's that's enough but that breath and not it's not contemporary text but in ancient text that breath practice would go up to 32 64 and then uh-huh. even higher but it's very much i think at the top it's called something like the brahman's breath so it's like supreme being breath that these would be yeah. the kind of people practicing it would be extreme aesthetic like aesthetic yes, yes. yogis who do this practice day in day out who are not householders not living life with a diet which has been purified down and a body and there was and Charlie, um, yeah. can i add on to that 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 because they would be practicing to that degree and engrossed in their practice to that degree, they would not have time to be running teacher trainings and setting oh up God, a business. Oh my God, no, or coaching people. And they're not no, coaching people no. either because these are practitioners, not yes. practitioner teachers. There's a um, big, big difference between the ability to be a practitioner to that degree totally. and what it takes. Because we've said there are only a certain number of hours in the day and there is yeah. only a certain amount of energy each of us has. Absolutely. And and you cannot be engrossed in your own practice to that degree and run a business. So there's a story, I was trying to see if I could find the text, but it, I think it's up on my higher shelves, of, um, from Paul Brunton. So he was a writer in the 1930s. He wrote, he um, follower of Ramana Maharshi, who wrote extensively. And um, one of his books is called A Search in Secret India. And he, in it, he goes and he tries to find a guru and he ends up with Ramana Maharshi, but along the way he meets a lot of other gurus, some of whom he considers to be sort of fakirs and some he considers to be very authentic. One of the people he meets is someone who, um, because at that time, a lot of these yogis were engaged in sort of performative yoga, sort of street performance and things, Uh um, in you know, just because that's what happened. And so there was one guy he came across whose performance was to swallow poison. Uh-huh. And so he would ingest all of this poison. Then after he'd ingested the poison, he would go off and do his pranayama and that would purify his body and he would survive. And this was the show, except he got very popular. And there's actually a printout of the newspaper article, like a copy of the newspaper article in it. But what happened was one day he performed the show. And as he was sitting to do his very important cleansing afterwards, pranayama and meditation, someone interrupted him. So they knocked at the door and they came in and interrupted him. And he answered them instead of continuing with his practices. And then he died because the poison didn't leave his body. So he died from poisoning. 
And I mean, believe it or don't believe it. I don't know. There is evidence, but um, this is the problem, right? Well, and this is the lesson. And I think to overlook the lesson, to say we can't be paying attention to the lessons of the past. I think it's really quite important because I there are there are few human beings who are dedicating their life to these practices to that degree and so for the ones that have gone before us who were still human beings in the way we know human beings yes okay lifestyle may have changed but Mm. I don't think we can overlook the basic function of our human body has not changed no as far as I'm aware maybe somebody very scientific can can call me out on that but you know it hasn't (laughs) and we and and so other my other little bit of research for today brought up a quote which comes into um, a fantastic book the anatomy of hatha yoga which is david coulter and he has beautiful little quotes at the beginning of his chapter so at the beginning of chapter two on breathing he has a quote from um a book that was written in 1674 and it says The lungs are placed in a recess so sacred and hidden that nature would seem to have specially withdrawn this part both from the eyes and from the intellect. For, beyond the wish, it has not yet been granted to anyone to fit a window to the breast and redeem from darkness the profounder secrets of nature. For of all the parts of the body, the lungs alone, as if shrinking from observation, cease from their movement and collapse at once on the first entrance of light and self-revelation. Oops. Um, (laughs) <laughs> Hence, such an ignorance of rest of and a sort of holy wonder. Yeah. So the, the so the tragedy of this is that this chap, John Mayo, was presumably, oh, I don't know, I haven't looked into it, um, cutting open a okay. few bodies. Having a look. <laughs> well, it sounds like they might have been alive which, as well. <laughs> which makes me think of like, oh my God, in 16 something or other, just some stone slab with some bodies. Yeah, presumably living people wow. who were lined up to um, come under his scalpel so that he could try and discover how we respire. Um, but yeah. unfortunately, every time he every time he cut into a chest, the lung collapsed. Who <laughs> yep same thing <laughs> five pounds and a loaf of bread they'll be fine send them on the way yeah the lung collapses when you try to open it up there we go so that was in 1674 so they really did not know how we breathe back mm. then so we're you know the texts that we're reading for yoga they had no idea the physiological actions of breath but they knew what it felt like yes 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 um, and, and they knew powerful... what the profound effects yeah. of it were yeah yes. so powerful so so yeah. powerful and and it was to be revered and respected I mean so often these practices are described like jewels like you don't show your jewel to everybody keep them no. hidden in a box like don't go flouting your jewels because they'll get stolen like these aren't practices that were supposed to be bandied around to every Tom Dick and Harry they were considered sacred and very precious and the passing down of it should have been done with utmost discretion and discernment not hey guys come join my internet training become a breath coach and take people to a transcendent level it's like yeah I mean I think real like you said a healthy amount of skepticism around that and I think also you know that that it's people have been discredited for doing exactly that i mean it's it's just seems to be one after the other at the moment of (laughs) of gurus and uh, well either yeah either they're cults you know they become outed as a cult true um or a pyramid scheme or um you know as a charlatan and i think that 
if it seems too good to be true and it's offering you a sort of magic bullet, then I think, you know, yes, it's too good to be true. And there is no such thing as a magic bullet. But um, No, there really isn't. Hmm. There really isn't. Um, so we're aware of the time. How are we doing on hmm. time? We should probably think about wrapping up. I can't wait to talk about truth. Is that next week? No, it's not. Truth is a bloody long way off. (laughs) We're going to have to one, two, skip a few, 99, 100. (laughs) What's next week, Charlie? Uh, mm, I think next week is the sun and the eye. Oh, I've Mm. got terrible eyesight. I wonder what that says about me. Interesting. Um, Can't say a damn thing. I'd say there's times when that's a nice thing. <laughs> Sometimes it's a very nice thing. But yeah, next week uh, is sun in the eye. Well, I think we... Um, We've done a lot we, today. We have done a lot today. Yeah. It's been, a, it's been a pleasure as always. And you know what? We managed to get the whole... We've done a whole episode on wind with actually talking about wind, which I feel <gasps> is really talking mature. talking about farts. Without talking about <laughs> farts, which in our house, because when the girls were little... We wouldn't let them say the word farts. They became bodies. Or we didn't, I don't know. I just remember thinking farts from the mouth of a two-year-old or whatever sounded a bit crass, um, uh-huh. which is very old-fashioned to me, I guess. But I did. Uh-huh. So we, they ended up being called bodies. And uh-huh. I still. I, and then when the girls were quite little, they, they thought farts was the F word. Oh. And so they were okay. like, that's the F word. So then it was like a really rude word. And it's really interesting, the power of words, because then that word became like the real F word. So then if anyone said oh. fart, it was so shocking. Um, I'm really sorry if I just shocked you (laughs) and I I still still find it a bit shocking that you just said the f word I'm so sorry (laughs) (laughs) it's fine it's okay I'm I'm okay with it but yeah farts um and actually farts are really valid in yoga yoga gets things moving I know we're not doing twist to detoxify our livers and all that kind of crap but without a shadow of a doubt if you start doing twists or any kind of movement in yoga and you haven't done anything all day and maybe you had a little bit of a spicy um korma the night before or anything it's or gonna say, get generally something moving put and me in, put, put me an apanasana and a happy baby and i'm sorry if there's anything there that's going to be yeah. moved it's gonna it's gonna be moved so then the <laughs> etiquette says you should really hold it in if Which you think etiquette? it's going to be stinky Oh, the one that what, if... is about other people in the room. Okay, right, yeah. If you think it's going to be a whopper of a, and it's going to drop a bomb, mm-hmm. then I think you have to hold it in. Or you could try and smuggle it out. Or try you just let rip. It out. Yeah. Well, I don't think anyone ever in the history of yoga class really wants to let rip. I would say. I've talked to some it... people who just let rip. Do you, really? I have. I had a lady on retreat once who just let rip. Wow. Whenever it was coming, it came, no matter what. There was there was clearly no smuggling. It was wow. just whatever wanted to come out came out. Mm. Oh well. I mean, and I that's I a think different there's something, there's something in that. Don't hold back. It's a function of the body. It needs to come out. It's a function of the body, but social graces <laughs> would dictate that maybe please don't don't if it's going to stink hmm yeah well you know like we said we have to breathe the air 
we all have to breathe the air yeah but it does sometimes it happens and it can be really uncomfortable to hold it in and that's really true I mean I I I get miserable I would say go to the loo loo. I mean that's why I really can't abide yoga studios that say don't go to the loo during class I'm like don't tell me not to go to the loo oh no come on if you need to go to the loo but there are studios who have that as a thing I've not heard of that but Mm. I do think how, you can't enjoy your shavasana if you need to pee. You can't enjoy anything in yoga if you need to pee. And if no. you need to go and do a giant fart, go to the loo and do go, a giant fart. Go to the loo and go do a fart, yeah. Mm-hmm. Go outside if you need to cough, you know, and it's everyone's being quiet. Just go yeah. out, get the cough out, come back in. Then normal good. bodily functions. So, you know, fanny farts, hmm. normal bodily That's functions. That's the social. Farts and a- normal bodily functions. That's the social aspect of it, isn't it? You know, I think that it's where we try and pretend that we don't need to fart or cough or pee yes. or fanny fart that the problems start. So it's a kind of acknowledgement that, okay, if it slipped out and it slipped out, well, that's the way. Look it at is. someone else. Oh, it certainly happened. Certainly happened to me. If you know it's coming and you don't want to inflict it on anyone else, leave the room, come back. Yeah, but don't hold it in too much because don't hold it in and be uncomfortable. No. That's really uncomfortable. Yeah, there's, no, so there's definitely there's a sliding scale. In your class. Of, yeah, absolutely. Much better to go out, have a fart, have a cough, come back in, and and carry on with your practice. I think than try and practice uncomfortably. I agree. So, if any students are listening, please do know that you should just go and have a fart. Just go do your thing. Just go do your thing. <laughs> have a fart. And then come back. Yeah. Because everyone makes gas. Of course we do. That's just especially yeah. if you eat kimchi. Oh, really? I haven't had kimchi for a long time. Anything <laughs> fermented, double fermented. <laughs> doesn't work. So My well girls always say to me, if I have baked beans maybe once every two years, because they basically told me I'm banned from eating baked beans because apparently it makes my farts so awful. <laughs> <laughs> that they're like, you bake you either have to leave home. Or don't eat baked beans. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll just not eat baked beans. Oh, yeah. Well, we have an ongoing joke in my house about bowel cancer because whenever I let one go, I say, well, guys, I did have bowel cancer. I'm so sorry. So I'm allowed to. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, how long that is one. that joke going to last? <laughs> <laughs> Forever. Forever and ever. It's my C card and I'm going to use it whenever Absolutely. I Absolutely. And you do that. Whenever whenever I've lazily farted in the car or <laughs> on the sofa and it's not not smelled great yeah Sorry, and you guys. know also before we you go remember when I had cancer though yeah exactly <laughs> oh, oh mummy I know when we go to dog everyone was like well oh you know there's that sort of cultural myth if you blame it on the dog but uh-huh. actually you can't because I have never smelled anything worse than a dog's farts and they smell like nothing on earth they definitely well, don't smell human. No, there's something putrid, isn't there? <laughs> literally, like putrid, putrid. Yeah, yeah. Like some, I know. yeah, exactly. So I thought, well, and that's nonsense, isn't it? On the whole, my dogs are pretty good with that, but then occasionally they go off and find something to eat, something special somewhere. It's really bad, that right? I can't see. And actually, the other day, my dog, I thought, oh, she's rolled in something disgusting. It's awful, and I need to give her a bath. And I gave her a bath, and I was just sniffing her all over, trying to figure out where this awful. And it was putrid. It was putrid. The smell. And eventually, after I bathed her, I was like, it's where is this smell coming from? Oh my god, it's coming from her mouth. 
it's oh. Kind of, oh god and I thought oh Jesus I'm gonna have to look in her mouth and in her mouth is gonna be something horrific and um and I opened her mouth and she had caught in her teeth a bone which had like rotting flesh on it oh I had to pick it out of her mouth it was oh. worse than dog that's bomb. very special it was it was just the worst it was the smell of death it was mm. just well it was literally and mm. in all the ways it could be heinous <laughs> on that note <laughs> let's leave it on dead there are worse flesh. things than the smell of farts there we go <laughs> yeah aren't there just so that feels like a good high point to finish on yeah we'll be back see- with yeah, yeah, sun, sun in the, the eye. Sun. Oh. At the darkest point of the year, I think it will yes, be. Yes, actually, that's a very good point. It'll be on the yeah. winter solstice. That it we, will uh, be. So it'll be all the more poignant, I think. It will we... be. Talk, <laughs> Talk about, about the sun. sun. Yeah. yeah. Okay, oh. take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate, subscribe and share. Join us next time on The Honey Doctrine.